build these transmission lines, how do we do this fairly, justly, environmentally soundly? But if it's so easy for some moneyed interest to sort of pump up the you know, opposition and kill a project, then that's bad news. And yeah. so how, where do we go with all this, right? Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet at WFPR.FM and in the local Franklin Mass area FM dial at 102.9. Here for another session with my guide, Ted McIntyre, to help me make sense of climate. Ted, how are you doing today? I'm just doing peachy keen. It's a wonderful peachy day. Peachy keen. Oh, good. That, that evokes kind of southern weather, which is currently coming at us from the weekend yeah, weather absolutely. forecast, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Is ginger keen in the fall, peachy keen in the summer? Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. So for the listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, what we're about to do is, as we've started in this series going on, I think this is episode nine, if I haven't lost track, uh, following the IPCC roadmap, which from a world perspective, mass specifically has its own net zero roadmap, which is what we're really kind of looking to uh, see how well we're doing. Clearly, there's been some spits and stops um, along the way, and we'll get into what's happened, what's been happening most recently to uh, try to make sense of it. And so like, what does it really mean? <laughs> so where are we going to start today, Ted? Well, well, the place to start today is with what I regard as this enormous bait and switch, almost an old style scam that's happening within the context of the climate debate and roadmap, right? It's into my way of thinking, it's sort of a big corporate bullying exercise, self-preservation. Uh, and I think that it's, it's kind of hidden. So you, it's not, that easy to understand, but I mean, it's when once you try and wrap your head around it, it's kind of uh, mind numbing. So here's here's the connection. The roadmap, the Massachusetts roadmap for climate change, says that we must be decarbonizing the economy by the year 2050. Right. So that's 28 years from now. Right. We have to be decarbonized. What does decarbonization mean? Again, buzzwords basically means you stop burning fossil fuels, and in particular. You need to stop burning gas, natural gas, right? You just, that, that to heat your home and to cook your food and to heat your water up, typically many houses in Massachusetts use, use gas. Methane gas is the chemical name. Natural gas is how they sell it to you. Many, many homes have that. And in order to achieve the goals, basically, we need to get away from the use of that natural gas. Now, the thing about natural, you know, I, I keep saying natural gas, I'll switch natural gas to methane back and forth. The methane distribution system is in pipes that run under the streets. Okay. All around the, uh, all around the state of Massachusetts, there are gas pipes in the streets. And we've talked at some length in the past about how they leak and blah, 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 blah. But the utilities essentially make their money by the care and nurturing of those gas lines. 
fixing those gas lines, installing new gas lines. I mean, that's the hardware, what's called the infrastructure to deliver the natural gas is the way the utilities make their money. In fact, they get a 10% guaranteed return on the money they invest in building pipe, these pipelines through the streets. Okay, so fine, fine. That's kind of a setup. The utilities exist. Uh, we need, we, they are giving us methane gas through this infrastructure that's in all of our town, cities and towns under the streets. We know science says we need to stop using that infrastructure. We need to stop using that gas. We need to just get away from it somehow. And in her wisdom, the attorney general about a year ago said, the attorney general's office of the state of Massachusetts went to the Department of Public Utilities and asked the Department of Public Utilities the attorney general asked them, they said, she said, basically, look, we all know we have to get off natural gas. We got a 30 year, 28 year timeline. Go make a plan and come back and tell us about how we're going to get off natural gas. Okay. Reason, absolutely the right thing to do. In fact, very groundbreaking to say we're going to have a, a long term plan to have the whole state move away from natural gas. So, what happens? The de- the Department of Public Utilities salutes to the Attorney General and says, okay, we will have such an investigation. And that comes under the title, several different titles. Uh, The 2080 docket is one name. The Future of Gas is another name. There's a shiny website called The Future of Gas. And the DPU went off to plan how to decarbonize all of the, decarbonize by basically getting us away from this pipeline infrastructure that's under the street. Okay, you're still with me. So I've been talking a lot. Are you are no, you with me yeah. so far? Still, okay. s- still with you. Yep. Okay. So, the Department of Public Utilities. What do they do? Right. They are now under orders from the Attorney General to have an investigation to make a plan how we're going to get off natural gas in 28 years. The DPU turns around and goes to the utilities, and they say, "Mr. Utility, Ms. You know, Mrs. Utility, give me a plan about how you're going to get off natural gas by the year 2050." which is kind of like asking the hen, the, the fox to guard the hen house, right? Because the utilities have a vested interest in those pipelines. They want mm-hmm. those pipelines to stay there. Sure. And what's worse is that the Department of Public Utilities gave all of the planning responsibility legally to the utilities and denied access to climate activists or anyone else to even be participate in this process of planning the transition to the, to the, uh, to decarbonize and getting away from the gas, these gas pipes that are in the street. So what do you think happened? Well, exactly what you would expect to have happened. The utilities write a self-serving report that comes back and says, ah, here's what we're going to do. Right now, we're going to start adding a little bit of hydrogen, which we say is a clean gas. We're going to start adding a little bit of hydrogen into the methane. And between now and 2050, we're going to go from 5% hydrogen essentially to 100% hydrogen. And now you're going to run your house off of hydrogen instead of methane gas. And wink, wink, nod, nod. All the pipes stay in the street and we continue to make money. We are still alive in the year 2050. Okay. So there's a plant. Now, we have talked in previous shows about the problem of using hydrogen in this way. And uh, we can spend an hour talking about that if you want. I mean, putting hydrogen into this natural distribution, natural gas distribution system is a terribly bad idea. 
So number one, you get the DPU driving a process that's self-serving for the utilities, right? They're going to, they're finding a way to stay in business at the expense of the rest of us. Then there's a, there's another column. There's a whole other thing that's ongoing, which meshes up. Okay. So now, okay. You get, you get this whole 2080 thing going. Think in the other direction that in the year 2014, the state recognized that gas leaks were a bad thing. Methane leaks from all these pipelines was a bad thing. So the state set up this very noble and thoughtful program that said, we are going to, the state of Massachusetts will provide money to the utilities to aggressively fix leaks. And what could you not want? That's a, that's a great thing. And the utility now has incentive to fix the leaks, blah, blah, blah. Turns out that that idea is not working out so well, but we're on track to spend 40 billion dollars on fixing gas leaks by the year 2039 right 40 billion dollars from the state of massachusetts is going to come from taxpayer ratepayers to fund this repair work but what what's happened is that the industry says oh hydrogen is great we're going to use this 40 billion dollars to fix everything up so you get the hydrogen it's like, wait a minute, nobody signed up for that. That's not what the, what the legislature said you should do, right? They're going to take this $40 billion, redirect it to their self-preservation of getting hydrogen to us, which, again, I, I start to sputter because, I mean, there's so many things wrong with putting hydrogen into, the, your, into your home for so many reasons that we, as I say, we can go into, it's a terribly bad idea. Yeah. And what's happened is the department of public utilities has locked out anyone who has a counter voice or would challenge this proposal. The utilities have got it all locked down that what they're trying to do is to get this idea of using the, the, this GSEP GSEP money to put hydrogen into the people's homes. They want to get that approved before the new governor comes in. Because they know they have a friend in Baker, and given the, the state of play, they suspect they might have a less friendly governor after the next election. And so they're pushing hard to do this. And it's just, it's a corporate self-preservation program, right? The utilities are trying to keep their own profits flowing in. So right. does that make any sense at all, Steve? Yeah, so let me try and replay that to see if, again, I've it's made sense so that I can explain it to somebody else accordingly. And clearly, utilities have a regulated role in terms of delivering supply. And again, I think we've talked previously that, you know, clean, clear, reliable, affordable, things of that sort, to which... Along the time, they added the fourth piece in terms of you know carbon reduction, net zero, et cetera, which they have de-emphasized, <laughs> at least initially, by a whole bunch of actions, some of which are highlighting here. Um, DPU clearly went off and did their uh, gas plan, um, uh, gas, future gas. There is a common period which a number of people are now taking part in, but they weren't allowed to develop the plan, which is your point. They, the only people who were doing it were the utilities themselves, which is self-serving. The fact that, well, they call it natural gas, it's really methane. Natural gas is the, the nice mnemonic for it. You know, so it sounds good. It's natural and it's anything but. And oh, by the way, since it's 
you know, highly contagious, uh, flammable, you're going to put hydrogen in with it too. Um, I did go to school once and wasn't there a hydrogen bomb? I'm sure that may be kind of distorting it a little bit, but I think somebody should at least catch the drift that there's probably not a good thing to your point that they're putting the two and two together. And oh, by the way, since they've been dragging the heels in terms of actually repairing the leaks, they've now decided to tap into that fund to not only repair the leaks, but repair the way for them to continue to use that because that is their indeed their cash cow. Instead of doing the right thing and getting us off the fossil fuels to begin with. And I think we talked, and we probably should go more in detail in a future session, but we'll get there. We talked about using that existing infrastructure to deliver, you know, thermal energy, which it leverages the infrastructure and it provides us a better future. So yeah, I mean, it's, that it's, makes somewhat sense. <laughs> it does. I mean, I think you've you got the gist of it, right? There's this uh, this we as ratepayers and as a state and as a citizens of the state are being sacrificed to the long-term profits of the utilities, right? And they're trying to lock in something through the, through, basically through the end of the century that's incredibly expensive. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the things that need to happen, so the, 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 the opposite things that need to happen is that the state legislature needs to step in, right? And mandate that this thing can't happen, that we have to, that the utilities can and should be moving towards this, uh, what do you call it, the geo district, the, the, the idea that we're going using those pipes to provide um, Geothermal a, a reference cooling water. You know, yeah. I mean, there are other plants, and, and the, the state legislature needs to get involved because right now the DPU is a, a apparently completely bought and controlled by the industry, right? And there the industry is preserving itself. So mm-hmm. it is, I mean, you'll see that thing pop up and down. It's, it's kind of hidden, right? It doesn't get a lot of press except for people that are, you know, concerned about it. But $40 billion is a lot of money. Yeah. Well, and I think the, just the media awareness of it, which is obviously what we're also trying to foster, is better awareness of it because of the intent, really, to a certain extent, based upon the, re- the regulated utilities. They don't want that part of the discussion to be public. <laughs> They'd rather keep it minimal a la natural gas. It's the marketing. You know, by the way, we're going to switch it and do this and don't worry about it. In the meantime, you know, sleight of hands, <laughs> things are worse. And at least from what I've seen in terms of the media sphere, I've been finding more valid info from international news sources than from local news sources. <laughs> so I, that's another topic for another time. But this is how we're navigating, making sense of climate and how do we help and what do we need to do? Right. In, in, in this, this, this whole uh, future of gas in quotation marks, if you Google it, I mean, this pertains to the Massachusetts roadmap. It directly affects our success or failure in the uh, achieving the roadmap goals in 2050. And right now there is basically what amounts to a lie or a misrepresentation at the core of the proposal of the utilities as to how we're going to decarbonize. And you got to get to that realization to understand that this is at odds with the success of the roadmap. And we're talking about it because it challenges the, you know, it's a, it's a roadmap issue for 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a roadmap issue. And if we were truly, and I think one of your consistent points has been having at least the state government align the various divisions between executive and whatever across the board. So DPU, DEP, whatever is going to be involved to make sure everybody is aligned on the same roadmap so that we can indeed go forward. And we're finding that some of them are not necessarily well aligned. So. So I think, so, I mean, that's the story with the, the future of gas and all the 2080, all the, uh, uh, I mean, the, the, the hydrogen, they, they talk about renewable methane and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I guess the, the reason to say I'm throwing these words out there is that it's my, my feelings. Like the first time you hear the word, you don't know what the heck's going on. By the third time you've heard the word, you might begin to have some inkling. So if you see in the paper, dear listener, something about the future of gas, you say, well, this is the second time I've heard that. It might make a little more sense when you read the article, right? Because right. It, it's there's a lot of underpinning to keep track of what's going on. Yeah. And I think back to the future gas, uh, Healy had asked once upon a time for them to do this report. It came out. Now she's actually weighed in and said, um, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> but, but, but what I saw, Steve, is that the, the DPU has locked the attorney general's office out of any discussion in the, in the finalization of the plan. I know. Right? I mean, it, yeah. it, the fix is in. Yeah. Yeah. So then that gets back to, I think, to they're now feeling the pressure with Baker, at least in office. They've got a friendly listener. Um, and with Healy potentially, who knows, but Healy potentially coming in, they're going to have a less friendly person um, and make some changes. So they're trying to lock as much as they can. So that makes it more difficult for her to make changes. And yeah, it's right. going to be a rather interesting election season as all of this comes together yeah 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 yeah. so there you go that's the uh future guess i guess the other interesting story tell me which one is is it the uh we wanted to talk about maine right that's yeah the, the main but the climate uh, pipeline stuff yeah so so there was an article steve that in the New York Times, even though it's not a Massachusetts newspaper, in the New York Times, that is relevant to the roadmap. And it's on something to the Massachusetts roadmap. Uh, it's something that we have touched on in the past, but I'll briefly you know, restate it so we can catch up on where we are now. The roadmap calls for decarbonization. We just talked about that, right? We've got to get our electricity without burning fossil fuels. One way you can get a lot of electricity without burning fossil fuels is to use hydropower. And it just turns out, it turns out that Massachusetts is in, is in luck that there is something called Hydro-Quebec. It's up in Northern Canada. They have decades ago, you know, flooded a bunch of beautiful valleys with water, right? Did all the terrible, did a bunch of bad stuff a while ago. But right now there's clean hydropower that comes out of Quebec, Hydro-Quebec. In order to get that clean power into Massachusetts, you have to build a electric transmission line, right? And there's been this comedy of errors around where to build a transmission line. But the last, the latest turn of the screw is that the transmission line was supposed to come down through the state of Maine and bring lots and lots of green electricity through the state of Maine into the state of Massachusetts. And of course, the people that wanted to build that high transmission line made, uh, you know, made a bunch of promises and tried to sell it as an environmental good. And they were going to do all, you know, nice things and 
provide internet service along the path and not be particularly because of course they have to cut down trees along along the path to build sure. the transmission line. So the way I get the story is recounted in the New York Times is that there were people in Maine who didn't like the idea of having their trees cut down to put um, put a pipeline through, especially to benefit people in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Right? There are certain people with a legitimate point that the hydro Quebec is pretty environmentally damaging, right? It's flooded a lot of indigenous lands. It's done a lot of kind of crappy stuff up in up there. Yep. These people argue that, that the hydro Quebec power is not new power. It's not like an additional green energy. It's just that you're not going to sell it to somebody in Illinois because you're going to sell it to somebody in Massachusetts. Right. So it's not, again, there are these, so there was the, the, the transmission project was ongoing, being built, been planned for a long, long time. In the process of being built, local opposition came up with both, I think, sort of NIMBY and a few legitimate objections, right, to why should they be doing this to the state of Maine. But what happened is some of the big utilities in the state got involved because if that transmission line came through Maine, it would reduce their profits. I've lost track of the exact names. I think it's Avant Grid. Avant Grid in Maine is one of the players, right? And, And all of a sudden, the people who own the nuclear, the Seabrook nuclear power plant say, oh, we don't want that. We don't want that transmission line coming through Maine. So what the people who own Seabrook go, they give a whole lot of money to the local people and fund the effort. And mm-hmm. by a, and, and of course, Mainers are God bless them and they have their they think their own way, right? They're they're very independent. They voted to stop the transmission line. Right. Okay. So now that that throws a uh, so then okay, the story keeps evolving. This is all in the, in the New York Times article. So of course, there's contracts in place, all the permitting's been done, the, the transmission line's under construction. There's this plebiscite of the people in Maine who vote on the ballot question, and they say, no, we don't want that. So now it has to go to the Maine Supreme Court. And the Maine Supreme Court has to decide, does the vote of the people in November, does that override the permitting process and all of the- Which was already in process. (laughs) Is is on the way, right? They're building that transmission Mm -hmm. line now, okay? So it is, and of course, all of this directly affects Massachusetts, because if we don't get that green power, then we need to- start pedaling as hard as we can to put in more solar panels and wind turbines to generate the electricity we need locally. Yeah. Right? Yep. So it, it's, it's a very interesting thing. And, and of course, what the New York times article points out, and what I think is the interesting thing is that nationally, we have to think about upgrading the national electro electrical grid, right? It turns out that in Nebraska, not Nebraska, North Dakota, there's enough wind power potentially to, run the whole country, the United States, mm-hmm. right? right? But somehow you got to route that power out of North Dakota into Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, right? That means you need to build transmission lines, right? Yeah. That means you need to, to do exactly what we're trying to do in Maine, right? To build a transmission line to bring green power to where the people are, mm-hmm. right? And if it turns out that it is possible to kill the transmission line after it's been half built, yeah. That is, it has a chilling effect on the idea that we're going to build a, a transmission line from North Dakota wind turbines to to Massachusetts, right? right? And yeah. and 
that then further spills into one other idea that which I, I, I there's a an op-ed piece somewhere I forget the New York Times maybe but basically saying the idea and this is like a deep deeper question all through the 1970s and even into today environmentalists have been opposing the construction of things right they don't want that nuclear plant they don't yeah. want that power yeah. plant right now we don't want the keystone excel pipeline we don't want the compressor in weymouth we don't want the peaker so there's all this laws in place to require environmental review to block the construction of unwanted infrastructure and slowly as we move into this roadmap period of the 20s and 30s, we're saying, oh, by Jingo, we have to build something, right? We have yes. to build these transmission lines. How do we do this fairly, justly, environmentally soundly? But if it's so easy for some moneyed interest to sort of pump up the you know, opposition and kill a project, then that's bad news. And yeah. so how, where do we go with all this, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The um, and it, I don't think it was mentioned in the article, but at one point in time, Maine was really part of Massachusetts, and they split away. And you know, good good power to them for doing so. No pun intended on the power piece, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it begs the question in terms of quote the commonwealth and the common good, right? Because if we're you know, fighting against each other, neighbor to neighbor in some cases, you want this, I want this, what is the best in the common good? And who's going to make that determination? And clearly at this point, it seems like, you know, climate is here, climate change is required, the timelines are short, fossil goes, electric and hydro and wind come. But at some point in time, you know, going forward, there may be another change as well. And how, how do we negotiate those changes is really the way the rubber meets the road and trying at least as best we're trying to do in terms of making sense of what it is. Hopefully people will listen to this and say, yeah, we need to do better together and help foster the coordination because it's through the coordination that it's actually going to happen, whether it's us in Maine or Quebec or us in North Dakota and anybody that's in between, right. because we can't do it alone. That's for sure. Well, and, and I, for me, it, it, it splits off into sort of, there were questions about, so number one, I think we need an upgraded national electrical grid to route power around, no doubt about it, okay? Yep. But the, I think you can also imagine a future where the power, the electrical power is generated locally, right? And you don't need big transmission lines. And everyone's on a microgrid that is sort of generating its own load. There's a, you've got solar panels on your roof. There are wind mm -hmm. turbines locally. Sure. You know, there's right. all kinds. And you're more efficient. You have less demand for electricity. Yeah. And the, so there's a future that says, um, you know, you control your own electricity. And that leads into a whole other dimension of things called uh, energy democracy, right? Mm -hmm. In a sense that you don't necessarily want to be dependent on a highly politically controlled set of wind turbines in North Dakota and a pipe and a, and a transmission line that's owned by someone right. when you can have a solar panel on your roof, right? <clears throat> yeah. Those are two yeah. different ways of imagining the future. And so yeah. Uh, yeah. there you go. The, the local, the individual solar panel. And then when you get into even the uh, individual geothermal you know, tunnel, pipe, whatever, there's also going to be some, 
quote, district capability to the infrastructure is going to be a cost depending upon how deep you drill. And if you can do it with neighbors in your neighborhood, you know, then then it's more cost effective, et cetera. So, yeah, we're going to have to navigate those transition pieces as in some cases, it's going to be individuals. In some cases, it's going to be small groups. And in some cases, we're going to need, quote, for the common good, you know, the national benefit, you know, to do a national pipeline, national grid. No pun well, intended. And, and, I can, and just, just to be clear, you know, when, we, when I say that there's this idea of energy democracy, I don't mean that everyone, every house is a standalone island of generating its own electricity. True. It's true. that the yeah. policies of the state encourage local generation Right. And so that, that you have what's called distributed generation. And it's not it's not like some one of the, the, the survivalists out in the middle of the desert. Right. With their mm -hmm. wind turbine. Yeah. Right? That's not the, what I'm talking about. No, it, they're it's, they're, it's, they're it's off the grid that, for a reason. That's different. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the um, this is an ongoing I mean, as they say, the story the ongoing story we're going to be watching, because at some point, this state of Maine, the Supreme Court of the state of Maine is going to make a call. Right? And then either we're going to get the green electricity from Hydro-Quebec or we're not. And then we're going to make another play. And I, mm -hmm. I which is why I think the, the House of Representatives in Massachusetts is wise to be pushing all this wind. I mean, they're all about wind in quotation marks, right? right. All the bill is about building wind turbines. And yes, it's jobs that are local, but it's also to supplant the potential loss of power from hydro quebec if maine doesn't come through then we got to do, do it on our own mm -hmm. and so, yeah go. yeah we did spend time in a prior piece talking about wind i'm sure we'll come back to that topic because one of the pieces we've talked of before in a prior session was the the senate bill to go more driving forward with electric vehicles obviously the house had done their wind piece those are going to go into conference and exactly what comes out of that conference committee <laughs> we'll be watching that carefully because that certainly will either get us closer in a realistic map path or may really be some challenges in there. So right. stay right. tuned and listen to the continuing story on that front as well. I guess the other thing that I wanted to, to point out is uh, it's not quite a, you know, the way the world works or shouldn't be quite the way the world works. And it's without any sort of inference, inference of bad behavior but uh, the secretary of the Department of Energy and Environmental, yeah, E, E, Energy and Environmental, EER, the, the, the Executive Office of Energy and Environment, right, uh, which is run by Secretary Kate Theoharidis, she, she has been, she, her Twitter hashtag is Climate Katie. She's, reputed to have done a lot of, you know, good things, some stuff not so good. But anyway, she's been on the top of, she sits above Department of Environmental Energy Resources, the DPU that we just, we just disparaged, right? Yeah. I mean, she's at the top of that pyramid, right? She, as the Baker administration winds down, she took a job with a wind turbine company to develop wind turbine technology on the East Coast. She's not going to be actually working in Massachusetts because I think there is some rule about that. But it raises this whole specter of people in the government who then 
what's the word, the, the word I saw somewhere? It's like they are operating, and I'm not, I'm not saying this happened with the Herides, but I mean, you can easily see where the person who's at the top dog in the organization knows they're going to get a parachute. And when they end with when they end with their time in government, they're going to have to look for private employment. Mm -hmm. So they're taking care of the people right. that they might want to. I mean, it just even if it yeah. doesn't happen, it looks like it could happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's certainly the, the previous person who held the role that Theo Herides is in is a guy named Matt Beaton. He did the same thing. Mm -hmm. He left the being the director of that office and he went to work for TRC, which is a energy company, nominally in a role of, you know, doing green stuff, blah, blah, blah. But it just doesn't look right. And so we're back to how the state needs to align itself with these processes so that it doesn't look like I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Even if, yeah. again, there's no yeah. accusation against theories <clears throat> here. I don't know that, but it doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't seem right. Yeah, it begs the overall question in terms of commonwealth, common good, conflict of interest, et cetera, um, and kind of the swinging door, revolving door between company and government in, in a form of government industrial complex. Um, somebody's making legislation, doing oversight, et cetera, and then switches to be one of the companies that they previously had been you know, and he, uh, watching on or vice versa. I mean, yeah. there's any number of, you know, situations. This just happens to be a current one. This is the, and I think we talked a few weeks ago that the people at the DPU are all former employees of, have all worked at the utilities, right? Yeah. So they work in the utilities and they're all going to get a job at the people that regulate the utilities. Well, okay, we're going to mm -hmm. take care of each other. Uh, Which again, is not to say that certainly they bring some level of expertise because utilities are a different kind of market, et cetera. So there's that. But yeah, we just have to be careful and aware and transparent to use that buzzword. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. Again, this, I mean, it's like, yeah, just the transparency, the idea that you should know who's making those decisions, say at the DPU, that they're, mm -hmm. they're not climate hawks. They're not, right. you know, they're not people trained yeah. in environmental yeah. uh, issues. They're mostly people who know about pipelines, which, you know, isn't unrealistic, but no. not great. No, it's one of the other, you know, opportunity to say, you know, follow the money. Right. <laughs> Look right. as to what really is happening when you see what the decision is. And yeah, as we talked to re not to beat the dead horse because uh, it's certainly not dead at any point, but natural gas is not quite so natural. Look who look who's paying the piper there. So yeah, ultimately we are. So that's what we need to do. Well, but I mean, these these guys are the utilities are very good at marketing. So just we're we still we quite, haven't quite caught up with the fact that natural gas and methane are the same thing, and methane sounds a lot more threatening. Yes, so these guys are now talking about. Uh, biomethane, right? That they're going right. to get the methane in some green way from compost, which is fine, except that it's still methane, right? You can call yeah. it biomethane. You can, a rose by any other name would smell the same, right? right. And so, yeah. so there's that. There, there's that. That's just a commentary, something to keep your eye on as it keeps happening and you get to, you get to wonder about who's making all the decisions. Yeah. I guess one of the other places, Steve, that is, not so much directly a Massachusetts issue, but is educational about how to think about Massachusetts issues has to do with aviation, right? Yes. And, and this is, for people who haven't thought much about it, it turns out that 
a there's something like three percent globally of carbon dioxide pollution. Three percent of everything we put out comes from jet travel. Right. That's an enormous, an enormous footprint that aviation has, and all the predictions say it's not going to get any less. And in fact, as we reduce carbon emissions in other places, the fraction of of carbon pollution coming from aviation is going to keep going up, right? And as we come out of the pandemic, so in the pandemic, all the airlines get sixty five, whatever billion dollars to to wait three months before they laid everybody off, right? But yeah. that's a whole other story. The the um, you know the, the question was: Are the airlines going to come out of the pandemic? alive right so now we're slowly emerging people flying again but it turns out that and i think steve you found the article is that the aviation industry is consistently failing to live up to its own promises right yeah this is it picks back into one of my prior points in regards to international media picked up this particular report which I, I haven't gone digging that deep into the originations, et cetera, which I will be doing because that's part of the following the money and validation. But I did see they were one of the first ones that did pick it up. The report said, and especially applicable here, their airlines have over the years been given targets and they've missed most of their targets. They haven't come close. And this report comes through the Guardian, but I haven't seen yet in the Post, the New York Times, Globe. I mean, at some point, somebody's going to have to pick it up. But yeah, it becomes hard because, okay, we're mass. Yeah, we've got Logan Airport. We're close to Providence. We're close to New Hampshire. There's airports there. But how much are we truly in the air industry? That's on one side. But on the other side, a lot of us, at least especially for vacation travel, unless you drive, you're going to fly. So, you know, what can we do? We just have to be aware of that particular market and then start saying, hey, what gives? How come you have been missing your targets? I mean, I guess I would argue the following thing, that the, that the emissions that come from jet travel, of which I'm as guilty as anyone, right? The emissions that come from that are, are representing an enormous inequity in the sense that I don't have a, an accurate number, but the vast majority of people on the planet today are never going to see the inside of an airplane. Like, what is the magnitude? Respectfully, right? because of the pricing. Well, because of the price, but I mean, just think, you, there's a billion people in India. Right. right. How many of them have gotten on a plane? Right. Yep. All of, I mean, there's like, but they are all impacted by the pollution produced from the plane. Right? Agreed. Yeah, because that, that air the, is air. It's around. And, and that the the people who fly on airplanes tend to fly frequently on airplanes. Right? And I will admit, I mean, I for a while when I was working, I would be going to Korea once every three months, mm. right? Jump on a plane and go to Korea. Right? I'm, you know, say, Oh, we need you in Beijing. You know, please fly over to Beijing. It's a moment you're going to plane you go. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's an enormous impact by a real tiny fraction of the population. Right? And for me, it raises questions. Uh, uh, well, there's the equity question because I'm doing something that affects millions and millions of other people there. But then the other, the other thing I keep coming back to is that the, we all think 
that we that that air travel is a right and uh and you know that that we get to fly to Chicago in an hour and a half and that's how it's gonna be. Right? People don't stop and say, you know, if if you couldn't fly the way I posed it, I posed it to you before, Steve. If you couldn't fly to Beijing in 10 hours, you know, would the world economy grind to a halt? Mm. No. Right. right. If it took you a week to take a, you know, a, a, an efficient boat sailing across the Pacific to get there, you'd be OK. Right. And given yeah. Zoom and all of these communication things, especially uh, post pandemic, especially post pandemic, it's like we don't. But the airline industry wants to keep growing and, and they keep ignoring their carbon emissions targets. Right. And, and so I guess one of the things that's relevant to Massachusetts is that this is the thinking about aviation and that somehow we need biofuel so we can keep flying. We need all this stuff, right? That is an example of linear thinking. Whereas we're, we're simply going to replace the energy source for the jet. We're all going to have electric jets. We're going to fly to China on our electric jet, right? And that is highly unlikely to be realized in the future. The, the linear extrapolation from where we are now to where we think we're going to be is not the case. We're mm -hmm. going to have to find a different path. And I think that different path is going to involve high taxes on airplane flights, reduced air travel. I love to go play. I mean, so, so people really are passionate about going places to travel. Sure. I mean, but all that stuff, I mean, has to change somehow. We have to th rethink it. And it's not going to be... So I don't know. And, and this is, as you were saying, particularly relevant to Massachusetts, because there's a lot of people in Massachusetts that have international business, that travel oh, yeah. places. Yeah. You know, we here in the state are very much um, in that class of select class of the few percent of humanity that gets to fly. Right? Absolutely. And and yeah. you just should start thinking about it mm -hmm. right? because people need to go places. But you should be aware that it's a privilege and it's damaging. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, having had the opportunity to do some international travel, and I do have plans to do more. Um, I'll hopefully, before the end of the year, we'll get to Greenland to see the ice before it melts or continues to melt. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm certainly not a frequent flyer, but I do occasionally. And to the extent that we need to, the question is, how, how do the individuals foster the market such that the companies do the right thing. <laughs> um, that's, I don't know that either of us have the answer to that. That's no, going to be a bigger question. I don't question, think it's an yeah. easy answer there. It's uh, not an easy answer for sure. I mean, the, the thing I saw was things like, again, people, people really like their frequent flyer miles, but they, frequent fly, people will fly jets just to maintain their frequent flyer miles. Mm, right? right. And yeah. there are, in fact, there was something during the pandemic of, they would, the jet would take off in Adelaide, Australia, fly to Sydney and land, and people got their miles, but they weren't really, oh, no, would they fly back to the original place? And they would all these, have these miles, right? <laughs> their mileage. And so banning frequent flyer miles is a good thing. There are jets that are flown empty between airports in order to preserve the right to land. During oh, COVID. because of lands, landing utilization, landing yeah, rights, etc. Use it or lose right. it thing, right? Yeah, so you got to yeah. put them, and so they fly an empty plane there. And yeah. so there's anyway the, the the whole question of aviation. But as 
just to rewind, for me, the take-home lesson is that the future is not a linear extrapolation of the present. The future of electric vehicles is not going to be the same as replacing every gas-powered car with an EV. It's going to be mm -hmm. different, right? Same right. with aviation. And I, I mean, the idea of going on a, we talked about the, uh, the Hindenburg before, right? But I mean, a safe airship that takes a week to fly across the country maybe, but it's beautiful and relaxing and you're, you can work on your zoom meeting as you're flying. Mm -hmm. That's not so bad. Right. No. It, it, it's, no. it's... Yeah. An electric powered hot air balloon, just floating with the currents. Absolutely. <laughs> that might, that might be an opportunity. I did the arithmetic of, of, cause I was on this for a while. You can get these Russian oligarch yachts. Okay. So, they they somehow the fastest yacht in the world i think is owned by an oligarch but it's one of these huge yachts it goes something like 50 knots which is really fast especially okay, in the twice, water over, over water right if you do the arithmetic you can go to la to shanghai in about i think it was 10 days wow and then i was saying oh my god look what you could do you could have hydrogen refueling stations in the middle of the Pacific with wind turbines using the water to crack the water and make hydrogen. So your, your boat goes a third of the way, refuels a third of the way, refuels, mm -hmm. and it's all done. It's all green, right? Yeah. And it's a little bit slower, but oh, I don't know. Yeah. Just call me up if you want to fantasize about uh, <laughs> you know, how to travel. I mean, the, the option of how to travel is a really interesting question. Yes how to travel, uh, how we will go forward clearly is going to be the ultimate question. And we'll come back to continue to discuss as we make sense of climate and what it does to us on a regular basis. <laughs> well, thank you for taking time today to review some of these current button items. There's enough on our plate. We could be talking for hours, <laughs> but we'll be mindful of the listeners and spare them some agitator and let allow them to, okay, take a deep breath. We can do this. It's going to take coordination. We'll have to figure it out. Answer's not immediate, but we'll get there. There's at least that hope. That's good advice. That's good advice. Breathe deeply, keep marching, and we'll get there. Yes, cleanly and safely. Well, thank you again. And for the listeners, thank you. And we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.